Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 2. This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 2. And the last time the message was titled God's Vision to Ezekiel. Now we covered Ezekiel chapter 1 in two parts. It just is that powerful. We're talking about the cherubim, uh, angelic visions. We're talking about... uh, As the Apostle Paul said, right, when he was taken to the third heaven, inexpressible things that he experienced. John saw these things. Um, Ezekiel sees these things. Isaiah sees these things. Probably something, maybe one day I'll do a message just on all the heavenly visions. Just powerful stuff. I mean, especially in the world we live in, with a lot of the negativity, it's just a positive thing to see. So God's vision to Ezekiel, if you didn't get it, get it. Uh, And today's message is Ezekiel's mandate. So this is what God has called Ezekiel to do, right? He's a prophet like Jeremiah and Isaiah and many others. And he sees this vision of God and then God speaks to him and he tells him what he wants him to do. I think the, I think the danger or the tragedy, it's maybe an overstatement in the American church is that when we come to become spectators, Right. You've seen this with some of the big ministries. You watch it on TV. Um, There's just so much excitement and big things that they do. They spend a lot of money to get people sensory, um, a sensory overload. Right. It's and again, it's designed for a certain reason. But I think the danger with that is that we become spectators as Christians and we don't apply God's word to our lives. Christianity was never intended to be a spectator sport. Right. So Ezekiel has a mandate, but so do all of us. It take me, took me a while to figure out what mine was. Um, God wants to use all of us. Imagine if every Christian on the planet did something small, how differently the world would look, how differently American culture would look. So, yeah, we're, we're talking about Ezekiel, but we definitely have to cross over and make that application. And we're going to look at this in four parts. So we're going to jump in in Ezekiel 2. And we're going to actually cover a little part of three because chapter delineations came later for some reason. Uh, The first few verses in three really go with two, and you'll see how that works out. So jumping in, and he, Ezekiel speaking about God, said to me, son of man, can also be translated son of the dust, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the spirit entered me, and when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. So one out of four is Ezekiel is enabled by the spirit. He's enabled by the spirit. So the first thing God tells Ezekiel to do here is to stand and to listen. Now, there was a time. This is why it's so important to get whenever we do these books to go message by message, even if you're not here to get it on the Internet, because you're like, well, why is he standing? What happened? Um, You have to remember that in the last chapter, He sees these incredible uh, angelic and heavenly vision, and Ezekiel goes down to the ground in worship of God. So this is one continuous thought. It's 
It's the same event that's happening. It's just broken up into different chapters. So in last Sunday, he worships God, and there's a time for that. Now he asks him to stand up because God has work for Ezekiel to do. And you can see this parallel in prayer, can't we, right? We, when we go to prayer, I know from my prayer life, listen, sometimes, you know, the neighbor's dog gets out and it's vicious and you're like, Lord, you know, so there's those types. Those are legitimate prayers. I call them uh, flare prayers, you know, just shoot one up real quick. Help me out with this one, Lord. But when we have really the time to put into our relationship, right, and, and, and we should, that we can see these, these parallels or these phases. One is worship, adoration of God because he deserves it. Another is supplication. Another is listening. And another one is being ready, right? What is God showing us in prayer? We, what about when we pray for something and he, kind of, he gives us an answer? And you test that with scripture and you test that with other things and you find out, well, this is what God wants me to do. So at this point, Ezekiel, it needs to be ready. And Ezekiel, like us, must be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do God's will, especially if it's difficult. Now, it's kind of neat. I have friends from all faiths, you know, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, etc. And my Jewish friends... For them, it's a learning curve. You know, when they've been taught as kids, they're really not taught about God's spirit or the Holy Spirit. I know one of my friends is watching right now. Um, so they say, Joe, what, what is this thing with the Holy Spirit, God's spirit? And you know what I do? I take them to the Old Testament <laughs> and I show them all the places. And oftentimes I hear, you know, we really weren't taught the prophetic books. This is interesting. So it's kind of neat. But when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, what you find is there's big word, different dispensations, um, or you can say they're different eras, different time periods, how God deals with his people. So in the Old Testament, there was a a filling, right? Um, God needs a a humble man or woman to do his will, and he he fills that person with his spirit. It's like a partnership. And then it's, it's sort of a temporary thing. In the New Testament or the new dispensation since the age of grace, there's a sealing with the Holy Spirit. So we still are filled and, and there's still para and en and all these different uh, prepositions where the Holy Spirit works with us and enables us. But as believers in Christ, when we become believers, we're immediately sealed with God's spirit. Don't ask me how he does it. <laughs> there's a lot of really neat things we'll see that when we get to heaven and we'll probably ask a lot of questions like little children. But it's pretty neat stuff. So he needs to be filled with the spirit. Um, I think that the, the two extremes when we see something like this or we consider as Christians, what does the Lord want me to do? The two extremes, and neither one of them are good, is number one, for people to be lazy or to be spectators spiritually. They don't feel like they have any role. I mean, this is a perfect time of the year with the summer, right? There was lockdowns late, and I hear it. This is going to be the best summer because I was stuck in the house all last year. Well, that's going to affect church attendance and maybe getting the messages as well. So in Ezekiel's time, there were things that were problematic. And we also see the same thing in 2021. So there's definitely an application here. So there's a spiritual laziness. The other extreme is doing it in our own strength. And you know what I love to do as a pastor is to be transparent. Sometimes it bites me. um, But I'm not perfect either. And my problem is the other extreme, doing it in my own strength. And there's plenty, plenty of times God has tipped me off and basically said, you, you ran ahead of my timetable. I, I wasn't in that. And I'm like, yeah, you, 
that's my fault. It's always going to be my fault when it's between me and the Lord, my bad. But, you know, so we see these two extremes. The, the sweet spot is for us to call upon the Lord, ask him what it is we should do, and for him to be a part of it and for us to do it in his timing. So it's pretty, it's pretty neat. And you kind of get that groove. You learn that groove after a while. But the truth is, if God calls us to do anything, he will enable us. So he says to stand, he says, listen, he fills Ezekiel. And again, there's this relationship. Ezekiel doesn't lay on the ground the whole time. And God's like, come on, you can't do what I ask you to do. Just doing that. And at the same time, Ezekiel doesn't stand and take off. And God's like, I'm not finished with you. Right. So you see this, this partnership here. So the term son of man and people ask that they say, well, what? Didn't, wasn't Jesus called the son of man? Well, let's look at son of man. Son of man represents humanity. Now, Jesus was called son of man for very different reasons, which I'm going to go into. Ezekiel represented humanity, right? Men and women since the beginning in a limited capacity. Ezekiel was part of the human race, but one standing up to represent it for this specific time, as was Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and all the prophetic and, and even some that weren't prophetic, um, weren't prophets. But Jesus represented the human race in order to save the human race, very different, save the human race from its sins that it brought into the world, which is something that Ezekiel and the prophets could not do. Jesus was also called the son of God. And those terms were used interchangeable. They both have different meanings. So jumping into three, and he said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel. Now he's going to his own people, going to his own people, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed me against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. So two out of four is a difficult task, a difficult task. So sometimes God calls us to do difficult things. However, when you have a true experience with the living God and not just an emotional one, but it, it, you know, it is emotional. When I came up to receive the Lord, it was emotional for me. But, but I also, I didn't want it to end there at the altar call. You know, I wanted to have this. I wanted to know what does God want for me? How do I get close to Him? How do I pray? At all these questions. So, we we sometimes you see Isaiah six. He sees the 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 glory of the Lord, and Isaiah basically says to the Lord, you know, I'll do anything. Send me. And then he kind of asked for his job description afterwards, and it's not an easy ministry. Wasn't easy for Jeremiah, wasn't easy for Ezekiel, wasn't easy for a lot of these people. However, when you have a true experience with God, you want to serve him. And you trust him with whatever he calls you to do. So we went over in detail previously the history of evil that God's people were doing and their refusal to repent. So whether when Ezekiel was ministering to them, whether they dug in deeper or they repented, God was showing them mercy by sending a prophet to give them the truth. And the truth, when you, when you give the truth, it's sometimes painful to the speaker and to the hearer, def, 
depending on the circumstances. And I've been in both chairs. I've been in the chair where, <laughs> where I had to receive instruction and I was doing the wrong thing and faithful men of God, you know, had to correct me. So I was in the instruction chair. And then I've been in the chair where I had to instruct the instructor's chair. You see what I'm saying? Um, and listen, when something is a difficult thing, right, maybe a sin issue or a, a falling off the path issue, uh, it's painful for the hearer and also for the speaker. We're going to see that with the book of Ezekiel. But wait till we get into some of these later chapters. You know, I know for me, I, I can't listen to a sermon I prefer watching, if I watch a sermon, either it live or on video, because, you know, I'm a visual person. We're visual learners. What we're going to find with Ezekiel, this is the coolest thing. So Ezekiel is in this community, and, you know, he's a prophet. And he comes out of his house, and the people's, like, you can imagine them gathering around. What's Ezekiel going to do today? So we're going to see in the later chapters, they're very, very cool. There's metaphors. There's illustrations. Sometimes uh, Ezekiel wouldn't say anything. He would just put things together and, and he would um, play things out, right? The siege of Jerusalem. And, and it, it was something that the, the children of Israel, now remember, and they're in a foreign land, they would just get together at the same time and they would, they would go to his house and they would, it would be like an audience, but he was teaching them through these illustrations. But a lot of the illustrations, as we we're going to find, are hard illustrations. But we're going to see that when we get to it. He says they're a rebellious house. Folks, can't we see that in the United States, our culture is also a rebellious house? The disdain or just the name of Jesus bothers people. I'd be like, what bothers you about Jesus? He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He loved people. He showed us the way to get to heaven. What could possibly be your problem with Jesus? But it's a spiritual thing. There's a natural friction and tension to somebody who's not saved yet. And their, their angst and their animosity or their indifference to Jesus Christ. Jesus only came to love us. He came for everyone. He came for the Hindu, the Muslim, the atheist, the, the Lutheran, the Calvary Chapel person. He came to die for all of our sins. So there's a lot of parallels here. Verse 4, he says to Ezekiel, say to them. Remember, this is foretelling as well as foretelling. And the Bible is really the only holy book that continues to preach the future and is always correct. Right. So Ezekiel would. Um, well, let's look at foretelling. Let's look at prophecy in the terms of foretelling. We're going to see that Ezekiel predicts the fall of Jerusalem, the siege from the Babylonians a few years before it actually happens. So if anyone had a question about whether Ezekiel was legit or not, when they saw the siege of Jerusalem, they're like, well, this guy is totally legit because all the other false teachers were telling us that Jerusalem would, it would never happen. The walls would never fall. So you have your, your near prophecies that would gain the trust of the people. And then you would have the far prophecies. Ezekiel predicted things 2,500 years ago that are happening today. Ezekiel had no idea at the time. He just was being used as an instrument for God. But he probably in heaven now can see, wow, wow, God, that was pretty awesome. There's also foretelling, I'm sorry, forth telling, telling forth. In other words, the prophet would say, thus saith the Lord, not my words. The Lord says this, and you really need to pay attention to what he says. So that's forth telling. 
So this is what the prophets would do. He would say things plainly and without delusion, without his own personal spin. And that's important too. Not speaking on his own authority. You know, if you notice that from this pulpit, uh, anyone who comes up here, pastors, elders, whoever, guest speakers, I'll say to you, let me paraphrase. So what I'll do is I'll take a difficult portion of scripture and I'll say, well, it's sort of like this. But I will say, it's my paraphrase. The word of God is elevated above anything I could possibly say. However, sometimes I try to help people to understand by doing a little bit of paraphrasing. But I will say, take, it, take or leave my conjecture, my paraphrasing, but the word of the Lord is above everything else. So that's very important, right? Today, there's a lot of ministries where they don't say it's from God. They just talk about themselves or their opinions or their philosophies. And from a pulpit, you need to be espousing God's word. So the false teachers at the time were telling the children of Israel, there was com- the competition as we see competition today with false teachers today is that this is exactly what they were saying. The false teachers, so the, the children of Israel, there's three uh, deportations, expatriations into Babylonia. And um, Ezekiel, we understand, is caught up in the second one. And the false teachers were saying, don't worry. Uh, Jerusalem will never, they'll never break through the walls. They're going to be victorious and you're all going to come back to Babylon. Those were the false teachers. You know what's interesting? You can turn on the TV this morning or this afternoon and go to the, the Christian channel and you'll see false teachers say the same thing. Hey, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Just, you know, live your life. And and if it feels good, do it. All these platitudes. But they don't speak about God's truths. You know, I believe that our culture is going to go through a humbling process in the United States. But the false teachers will tell you, just keep, you know, making millions. Keep buying the bigger houses. You know, go on vacations and recreations and do all that stuff. You know why? Because they make money that way. Ezekiel's audience, there wasn't a, a, an opportunity for Ezekiel to get rich because a lot of people didn't want to hear what he had to say. So the truth can be painful at times, but truth is love. And warning equals truth. So we have to understand all those things. So whether they, verse 5, whether they hear or refuse, they will know that a prophet was among them. Now, Ezekiel and we, at times, we're not responsible for the outcome. We're only responsible for the delivery of the message. Let God do the rest. But it's a great shame when someone continues to reject the messages of the Lord, especially the way to salvation. And people do that. They harden their hearts. They hear about the way to salvation, the way to salvation, and they become hardened. And I know people who it's affected their psyche because what they're doing is God is trying to reach them. They keep turning themselves off. And it affects everything. It affects your mental state. You know, a lot of things can happen when people do that. But our wonderful God wants our hearts, our motives, and our efforts to be in the right place. He'll do the rest. Verse 6, it says, And you, son of man, this is so cool. Do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Who wants that ministry, by the way? I want the ministry to Hawaii. I've been asking that for a long time, you know. God hasn't given that to me. But this is is what uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel's getting. He says, you'll dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks. 
though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. Now, some would hear and repent and change, and some wouldn't. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Now God is specifically talking to Ezekiel the prophet. He says, don't you be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Okay, so this is the is three out of four is don't be like the crowd. And again, why do you see some false teachers, some Christian ministries that are false on TV? Because they don't want to be ostracized. There's a big, I tell you, social media is very powerful. I know people who feel intimidated by their own supposed Facebook friends or I don't, I'm not familiar with Twitter or these other things, but you know, you have to follow this. You have to say this on your wall. There's a lot of pressure. And to me, that's not a friend. A friend allows you to be who you are. They only do that to you when you're going in the wrong direction. So there's a lot of reasons why Listen, this is written 2,500 years ago. It could have been written today. It's the same issue. Ezekiel didn't have to deal with social media. We know that. But he had to deal with angry looks. He had to do with um, hecklers. He had to do with people that didn't want to hear the truth. Because it wasn't a pleasant truth. Sometimes truths aren't pleasant. Verse 6, do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks. Body language you know, I've been in situations where I try to share about God's love. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying you're, you're bad or, you know, you're, I don't say anything. And, and they get upset with me. They get hostile. Their faces get contorted. I know it's a spiritual thing. It's not personal. But you know what? I don't push the issue. I give the truth. And what they choose to do with that is up to them. I'll let you in on a little secret. Before I was saved, I was one of those people. I was in a denomination, I lived, I worshipped myself, I lived my life for me, and when people try to share the truth, I think all the wheels were turning about what this is going to look like, and how I have to be accountable, and how I have to change, and I was one of those people that got mad. I didn't assault anybody, I just got, and I remember those days, but the Lord eventually softened my heart to receive the truth, right? You know, are we willing to be salt and light in this world? Because certainly in American culture, we definitely need it. Briars and thorns are with you. You dwell among scorpions. Scorpions, again, it kills the idea that God will always give us an easy ministry. And some do that. Well, I want to serve, and they're very picky in particular, because they want to serve where it's completely comfortable for them. Sometimes we need to be stretched. Right? My first time coming to a pulpit and speaking in front of other people, I was so nervous. It was a 30-minute service uh, sermon. It was, I got it done in 17 minutes. I talk normally fast. I talk like, like people, like, what did he say? You know what I'm saying? I was, my heart was racing, and, and I got down from the pulpit, and I said, I will never do this again. It's been 20 years. <laughs> so Isn't that great when you tell yourself or you tell God, I'm not going to do this again? And he's like, Okay. Yeah, all right. Gotcha. Okay, so here we are. (laughs) You know, are we prepared to, to pray for revival, roll up our sleeves, engage the culture, share Christ, right? Because if we don't, as a, as a people of God, we're not being salt and only God knows how, how much this culture is going to, is going to decline and plunge into the depths. And every person of God throughout every culture has had this struggle. 
You know, if I say something, it could come back on me. But a lot of people aren't doing it, and I really should step up, and I really believe God wants me to do that. And again, it could start with something simple like um, just getting to know someone, being a, a, a friendly ear, being a kind person, being a compassionate person. Sometimes in the beginning, you don't even have to use words. Just build those bridges with especially people who are running around in this country who are terrified because they watch too much television. You know, and you're, you're the voice of being calming. You're the voice of reason. You're the voice of hope. This world has no hope. Verse 8. God is telling, now this is remarkable. There's, every once in a while I read a, a portion of scripture and I just, it kind of hits me like getting splashed with cold water. He tells Ezekiel, now you, don't you be rebellious, right? We look at the prophets like they're larger than life, but they were just humans like us. And God had to tell Ezekiel, I really want you to do this. But Ezekiel had a choice. God gives us free will. Ezekiel, you could also be like the crowd. And that's the danger in our culture. Just be like everybody else, but they're rebellious. Ezekiel, I want you to stand out from the crowd. I really, I want to work through you. I want to work, you know, in a partnership. I want to fill you with my spirit. So Ezekiel had that choice. We have to ask ourselves, are we going along with the crowd? Do we do things to avoid persecution? Are we willing to serve God and help to wake, wake up our culture? You know, are we making excuses for why we, we can't be salt and light? I believe, folks, that the Christian culture is going through a sifting period. Remember Jesus said that in the perceived church, there's the true church of solid believers who know Christ as their Savior. Then there's, Jesus said, wheat and tares. In the Christian culture, it it's encompasses the good and the bad, sadly enough. And some will look like they're solid, but they're not. So I believe, the, and I say, the Christian culture and the church are going to go through a sifting period in our country. Are we being rebellious? Is God calling us to do something small and we just want to live our lives and enjoy our summer? Right? There's talk about, you know, I love these uh, millennial blogs, you know, they're supposedly Christian. The relevancy of the church. Is the church still relevant? And they just sit there behind their computers and they don't do anything for the Lord. They don't serve. They just ponder philosophy and sophistry and it's just whatever. Jesus died for the sins of the human race. So regardless of what the people are doing, Jesus is always relevant. Because he is the key to salvation. He's the key to the kingdom of heaven. And some people are turned off by what they believe is Christianity because, some of his, because of some of the tares. They call themselves Christians, but they're really not. Verse, some of you are saying, if this is the way the rest of Ezekiel is going to be going, I'm changing churches. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough truth, isn't it? It wasn't easy for Ezekiel. It's not always Ezekiel uh, easy for us to, to read and to digest. It's heavy stuff, you know. But the Lord, it, it, you know what's amazing? The Lord, you could say he's the CEO of the universe. He created everything. And here is the CEO of the universe comes down to us and says, hey, I want you to come up to my office. I want to put you on my team. I want you to change the world. Look at it like that. And you know what some Christians say? No, I'm, I'm busy. I got plans. Isn't that sad? God doesn't have to use us. He could use angels to do, they probably do a lot better job than I would, but he does graciously use us. And some just, they just don't care. They're just so self-absorbed with their lives. And it's sad. 
So we continue on. Uh, verse 8, the last part to the last few verses, 3-3. Three, three, he says, so here's the answer. Here's the solution to all of this because the Lord perceives that Ezekiel is going to do the right thing. So let me just finish with 8b. He says, open your mouth and I will eat and, and you will eat what I give you. Now, when I looked, Ezekiel is looking, there was a hand stretched out to me and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me and there was written on the inside and on the outside. Does this sound familiar? We were just in Revelation and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I will give you. So I ate it and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. So four out of four for this morning is this is how you do it. Now, Jeremiah, very similar. Jeremiah 1.9, Jeremiah 15.6, he ate the word of God. John in Revelation 10, 8 through 10 he ate the word of God. And what we found was that for m many of them, it was sweet in the mouth, but it was bitter in the stomach. And what does that mean? It means that God's word is, it, all of his word is absolutely wonderful. However, sometimes the application process can be difficult, right? If God is pronouncing woe on a rebellious people, well, it's his word. God's talking to us. That's wonderful. But he says, if you go in this path, these are the negative consequences. That's where it becomes bitter. Because God's word is always true. It always is fulfilled. So it's sweet, you know. And it, it's, it's kind of, it mirrors the, uh, the digestive process, right? With, I believe it's, somebody can correct me, the carbohydrates, there's potiolin in the saliva, and it starts to, the enzymes break down in your mouth. That's why you shouldn't inhale your food. Um, you chew it, chew it, chew it, and then it goes down in your stomach, and you've got your hydrochloric acid. And, and both parts of the body do different things to the food to break it down, to assimilate it into your body. Well, God designed the body, so he uses a metaphor for eating. Eat, eat the word eat the word, right? There's a great parallel with Jesus. Jesus said to his followers, I am the bread of life. Huh? And you could see his followers that when they first heard these sermons, they didn't understand, but Jesus was, was giving them such a deep spiritual truth. And then he would explain it to them. Jesus had a, a metaphor in John uh, six about feeding on him. Again, it was a, a metaphor right? Jesus came as the logos, the word of God, God's mouthpiece, so to speak, in human form. Are we feeding on God's word? Are we feeding on Jesus Christ? You know, here, here's, and, and I, why do I do the things that I do? Because I want to reach out to those, and I hear this from time to time, people say, um, I, I get distracted. You know, I, every time I set to read the Bible, something distracts me or my, I can't hold my attention. Do you realize that's spiritual? You realize that? That's spiritual. So let me tell you something that at first, maybe my peers might say, I can't believe you said that on Sunday morning. Some of you are like, what's he going to say? Um, 
and you can ask my wife, you know, uh, before I actually sit down to study and she'll say to me, I'm, I'm in my office, I'm ready to study. And I get up, I walk around, I go outside, I, I sit back down, I get up. She goes, what are you doing? You're supposed to be studying. What I do is I get all the distractions out of my way. If there's any dishes in the sink, I do them real quick. If the garbage has to be taken out, I take it out. Um, I check all my texts and my emails and I put them out of the way. And people might say, oh, and this is how legalistic people are. They might say, well, oh, so you, you get to God last. No, 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 no. I get everything out of my way. I time it sometimes where my son is at work and my, my wife is out. So there is no possible way I could be distracted. Well, listen, I'm here preaching the message, right? So I must have done a halfway decent job last week or this week. Because I know spiritually the forces of darkness are going to try to take me off my game so that you're not fed by the word. You see where we're going with this? So if you say to me, Pastor Joe, I, I, I can't, I got AD, listen, I think I have ADHD a little bit. If you know me personally, you can laugh at that one. Um, but it, it, it is a, there are things that physically distract us and there's things that spiritually try to distract us. And if you're being, feel you're being distracted when you go to read the word, that's a good thing. Because God is trying to pull you in closer to him, but there's other forces that are trying to push you away from his word. Right? So again, a little honesty from the pulpit, a little transparency. If you're my neighbor, you can see me getting up, walking around, <laughs> look, checking the beehives, right? Okay, so we'll move on. Uh, the word of God. And this is perfectly con- coincides with communion, right? We, Jesus speaking about the bread of life, we, he institutes communion. Um, so a few things we have to look at when serving the Lord. A, if we can wrap this part up, is the spirit... As we saw before, we need the Holy Spirit. Very important. We can't do this on our own. And B, we need God's word. Now, again, uh, we have a culture that's increasingly trying to become post-Christian. Even a lot of churches today, if you, did a, if you visited 50 churches in the area, you'd find that probably the majority of them don't, don't use the scripture. What are they talking about? Politics, current events, whatever. The word of God is foundational. Because if you look at this, the spirit is the will of God. We saw this in Ezekiel 1. God's word or the scripture is the direction manual of what to say and how to do it. If you have those two things, you don't need anything else. You don't need relevancy. You don't need to be cool and edgy. You have everything that you need at your fingertips. So what is our mandate from God? And people will say, well, Pastor Joe, I, was, I actually came here to hear about Ezekiel's mandate, not mine. But the truth is that God's word is a mirror. When we read God's word, oftentimes if we're doing it right, we see a mirror. God loved Ezekiel. Well, he loves us too. God wants Ezekiel on his team. Well, he wants us on his team too. Right? So we, we have our gifts. We have our abilities. We have our gifts of the spirit. And we go out and we try to use those things to serve the living God. And again, I say the great tragedy in the church is when church becomes spectator sports. It's a Sunday thing and it doesn't permeate, you know, it's one hour out of a hundred. You take the, the week and divide it up into 24 cycles, into hours from Sunday to Sunday. At the same time, you get 168 hours. It, it isn't for us to just come and get an hour and go, I'm good. I'm done. I, this is my, it's like checking a box. My responsibilities are done. It's not true. Let me just say this as well. Ezekiel had to address things in his culture. Well, 
every pastor should address things in his culture as well. Let's look at this triangulation between what happened, and I I touched on it, with last year, COVID, right? Um, This summer, June 6th, we were going to have probably four months of on and off really nice weather. We're all planning things. Let's look at COVID for a minute. There are people that they went back to normal life. They don't wear their masks. They, um, they're going back to work. They use public transportation. They go to, uh, out to dinner. They go to uh, corporate stores where thousands of people pass through a day. They'll brag about going on vacation and getting on a plane and being squeezed together in an aluminum tube with, yeah, okay, the, if you're right next to somebody and, and they're sick, you're probably going to get sick. The only place they don't come back to is church because it's not safe. I'm glad you're laughing. I hope that got picked up on the microphone. That's called COVID hypocrisy. That's called, how do I say this without letting my emotions get in the way? That's called um, worldly Christians, part of the Christian culture, who just want to live their lives the way they want to live their lives. And I got to tell you something. Some people have put more of their faith and trust in Dr. Fauci than they have in Jesus Christ. Yes, I did say that. Okay, so listen, the emails are coming out. Stuff's coming out. It's not pretty. Our, our country is in, in bad shape. Now, let's couple that with we're triangulating, right? June 6th, June, July, August, September, four months. We don't live in a beautiful uh, tropical and Mediterranean climate. So we have about four good months of summer. And I hear people say, well, I was locked down all of last summer, so this is going to be the best summer ever. But at what expense? And I could, I could hear somebody say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. But in your heart of hearts, do you go home and do you read your scripture during the summer? Do you do, do devotions with your family? Are you praying? Are you doing anything that the Bible says that we do as the community of Christians? Or you just, you want to have the best summer ever. Listen, this goes on in uh, many churches in this area where people ghost their churches. It's another millennial term. I'm learning all the terms until late September or October. Now, can I tell you something? Personally, I'm not offended. We're here to provide a service. During the week, Sundays, we're a church. Our doors are always open. People come and go. They have needs or whatever. But, you know, sometimes what people do is they, they get a scare. They go to the doctor. They take a test. And the test says this is a possibility. All of a sudden, they're back at church. They're praying. They're going to women's events, men's events. Then they go back to the doctor. The scare is over, and they're gone again. Again, I'm not offended. I'm going to be here no matter what until the Lord takes me. You need, if this bothers you, if this is irritating to you, what I'm saying, you need to go to see the Lord. You need to go pray. You need to go out to a park and pray and ask the Lord why you're ticked off at what I just said. Ezekiel was faithful to tell the truth to the Israelites who didn't want to hear it. I'm also going to be faithful. This is not the way you grow a church, just so you know. (laughs) If, you know, um... And quite frankly, if a whole bunch of people said, yeah, that's true, Uh, I'm going to make a commitment and the place burgeoned, we'd have to go to two services, which would put 
stress and time on the ministry staff, but we would do it because it's the right thing to do. So there is no bias in this. This is, it, it is what it is. And I'm hoping that people who disappeared to have fun today, as if hearing God's word isn't fun, fellowshipping, praying with other believers, I think that's fun. I hope that they come home and listen to the recording and hear what's being said. So when we wonder why, when we wonder why, and we yell at the television, and we complain about how rude people are on the road or out in public, and we complain about the direction our country is going, are we part of the problem by doing nothing? We, we want to see a change. Every single Christian in the United States, if we were doing what the Lord called us to do, our mandate, this country would probably look very different. Even something simple as making a commitment to praying to, for the unsaved or praying for revival. Amen? Because that's, folks, that's what it's all about. You know? So this book was written some 2,500 years ago to edify and encourage. But it's also here to challenge us, for us to worship for us to listen, for us to go, for us to do it without fear, and to do it with the Holy Spirit, and to do it with God's Word as our foundation. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m., and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions, or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.